Our text today considers the same scenario we've seen in the book of Acts many times, namely Paul getting in trouble for his stand for Christ. Many places in this book, I've addressed the issues from the text of being a bold witness, of being courageous uh, while under persecution, of committing oneself to a walk of faith, not a walk of sight. Um, It seems like that particular theme has been present uh, many times in the book of Acts, especially in the missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul. In our text today, in Acts chapter 21, the same scenario took place 2,000 years ago. That is, Paul went into a city and suffered hardship, persecution for his Christian testimony. I've chosen, however, to address this text in an altogether different manner since um, we have talked about boldness and witnessing and courage uh, while under persecution so many times. I want to address it in a little bit different way. So this morning from Acts chapter 21, verses 27 through 40, I want to consider a message that I've titled, Say What? Say What? I kicked around a number of titles and uh, kind of landed on this one because of the, um, the, the surprise and the astonishment that it offers. If you would look at Acts 21, verses 27 through 40. And when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews who were of Asia, when they saw him in the temple, stirred up all the people and laid hands on him, crying out, men of Israel, help. This is the man that teaches all men everywhere against the people and the law and this place and further brought Greeks also into the temple and hath polluted this holy place. For they had seen before with him in the city Trophimus, an Ephesian, whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. And all the city was moved and the people ran together and they took Paul and drew him out of the temple and at once the doors were shut. And as they went about to kill him, tidings or the news came unto the chief captain of the band and that all Jerusalem was in an uproar who immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down unto them. And when they saw the chief captain and the soldiers, they ceased beating Paul. Then the chief captain came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains and demanded who he was and what he had done. And some cried one thing, some another among the multitude. And when he could not know the certainty for the tumult, he commanded him to be carried into the barracks. And when he came upon the stairs, so it was that he, Paul that is, was born of the soldiers because of the violence of the people. For the multitude of the people followed after, crying, Away with him! And as Paul was to be led into the barracks, he said unto the chief captain, May I speak unto thee? Who said, Canst thou speak Greek? Art not thou that Egyptian who before these days madest an uproar and ledest out into the wilderness four thousand men that were murderers? But Paul said, I am a man who is a Jew of Tarsus, a city of Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city, and I beseech thee, permit me to speak unto the people. And when he had given him permission, Paul stood on the stairs and beckoned with the hand unto the people. 
And when there was a great silence, he spoke unto them in the Hebrew tongue, saying, and we'll pick the rest of that up this evening in the message in chapter 22. But we end chapter 21 this morning. And I'd like us to consider three main points about the issue of uh, communication and the problems that we can get into with that. The first thing I'd like us to consider is the contextual interpretation. That is, what is the meaning of this passage in the context? What's the authorial um, uh, intent? That is, uh, the intent of the author himself. That is, when Luke was writing this and the Spirit of God moved upon Luke to pen these words, what was the meaning supposed to be? Not what do you, not what does the Bible mean to you, not what does it mean to me, but what does it actually mean? And that's the, uh, uh, the discipline of exegesis, to draw out from the text uh, its meaning and to present it to uh, God's people to um, understand and to obey. And so the contextual interpretation want to remind you that when it comes to interpreting a passage of scripture, uh, as uh, uh, Dr. Steve Lawson uh, shared with us about three weeks ago, there's always only one interpretation of any passage in scripture. There's only one interpretation, one primary meaning. The, the text has a motivating thrust to teach one particular thing. But although there's only one and there's always only one interpretation, there can be many applications and how it plays out in our practical lives. And so um, I'm going to give you the interpretation, but the emphasis today is the practical application. That is what it means to us. And so what's the interpretation? Well, it's pretty obvious here. Namely, Believers are going to suffer for righteousness sake. The apostle Paul, he had just ended his third missionary journey. He had brought a large love offering, a cash gift from the believers in the Gentile churches in Asia Minor. And he had brought this love offering back to the mother church at Jerusalem to help them out. In the midst of being there and in the temple, there were Jewish leaders in the temple from Asia Minor, back uh, in the area where he had done his missionary trips in Ephesus, in Colossae, in Athens, in, in Corinth, where he had been doing his missionary journeys. And they were also in Jerusalem, like Paul, to celebrate, uh, to observe Passover and to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. And so they saw him, the paths of Paul and these Jewish leaders crossed and a riot broke out. Paul was accused of heresy. He was accused of disloyalty and uh, really to the degree that the, the mob grabbed him and they were beating him. They had lynched him and that they were going to actually kill him. The Roman authorities, as you see, they heard about it. They heard about the uproar. They intervened. They wanted to get down to the bottom of this. They wanted to know what the meaning of this was. <clears throat> Paul was actually living out what he would later write to the Ephesians about in 2 Timothy 3.12, when it says, Yea, and all who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. The context of this um, passage that we've just studied is suffering for righteousness sake. And we need to learn that. We've studied that many times in the past few months. You understand that. I've shared that with you time and time again from the book of Acts, that when you take a stand for Christ, young people, in the school, in business, in the neighborhood, even maybe among family members, when you take a stand for him, and I mean an uncompromising stand, a very clear stand, very clear cut, a clear cut, um, a, a, a definitive position on where you are, there will be times that you take heat for that. That's the interpretation of the text. Now, an illustration, an illustration, an actual illustration of what took place 
and what takes place uh, in our lives. And this illustration, I believe, is uh, interwoven into this text. Um, And really the significance of it has to do with human relationships. Some of you are involved with human relationships. Amen. <laughs> I mean, you, you have human relationships with spouses, with children, with parents, with coworkers, with classmates. I do as well. And I want us to consider uh, the difficulty that uh, comes into human relationships because of communication, um, because of things that are said about you or things that are misstated or you are misrepresented or those kind of things. I want to uh, identify uh, an illustration and then we're going to get into how to actually address it. I found this years ago. You've probably seen it before. Um, human communication. Uh, sometimes uh, it works out like this. I know you believe you understand what you think I said, but I'm not sure you realize that what you heard is not what I meant. Now, I have spent a lot of time, probably wasted time, trying to decipher what that that statement means. I don't think that there is a way to work your way through all of that uh, and come up with any uh, with any rational thought. That's why I'm not going to I'm not going to leave it on the overhead very long, because I don't want you studying this. That's not what what, what the issue is. I do want us to focus, though, on how miscommunication plays out in being misrepresented. And the first thought on that is that we can be intentionally misrepresented. And that's what happened with the Apostle Paul in verses 27 through 34. He was intentionally misrepresented. And intentional misrepresentations are some of the most painful issues in life. Uh, Someone says something about you. uh, Someone says, you said this or you did that, knowing that it's not accurate, that it's not true. That kind of a thing, just really, it can go all over me. Look, I have a difficult enough time in life and probably you do too, just dealing with the evil in this world and temptation and and being lazy or or not thinking about the things of God or not staying near the heart of God. I have enough to keep me busy in my life without having to deal with intentional misrepresentations, yet they come and they come in your life also. They came in the life of of the Apostle Paul um, and and it's especially true of leaders. Now, don't don't tune out when I say leaders. It's especially true of leaders, and we see that with Paul. See, the the, the crowd didn't just go after anyone. They had a whole bunch of folks they could have gone. They could have gone after Trophimus. They could have gone after Luke. They could have gone after the apostles uh, that were there, uh, such as. Um, uh, uh, James uh, or one of the others. Uh, I guess James already been martyred at that point, but could have gone after one of the others. But they went after Paul and you say, well, that doesn't apply to me then. Yes, it does. Because by virtue of you being a Christ honoring, um, God honoring and professing believer, a committed believer, by virtue of you being that in your family, in your neighborhood and in your workplace, in the classroom, that automatically makes you a target. You are a leader because you are spiritually equipped within your sphere of influence. So you're a leader. By definition, you're a leader. You don't have to be a, a leader in, a, in the public sense, or you don't even have to be a leader necessarily in your family or in the church. But by virtue of being a believer, a follower of Christ, you are a spiritual leader. And there will be those who will want to intentionally misrepresent you. Now, Paul here in our text was intentionally misrepresented. They had a problem with him and they were not seeking a resolution. It wasn't like they were trying to work it out with him. No, they wanted to go after him because they hated him. And the reason they hated him is they hated the Lord he represented. And so they're going to misrepresent him. They're going to seek to destroy him 
because you can't destroy the message. So it's a lot easier to destroy the messenger. So they went after him and misrepresented him. Now we know that took place because verse 34, if you look at verse 34, it says, and some of them cried one thing and some of them cried another. And the, and the leader there, the, the centurion, he couldn't even make out what was going on because there was so much nonsense coming his way. He couldn't sort it all out. Uh, the conflicting reports told him something is, is, um, is amiss here. Something is not right. Also, in verse 32, you'll look at that. They were beating him. They were going to take him out to kill him. But as soon as the soldiers and the centurions ran down to them, look what happened. And when they saw them, they stopped. Uh-oh, our hands caught uh, in the cookie jar. Uh-oh, uh, 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 preschoolers are fighting and dad walks in. Uh, uh-oh. And, and so that you know that they were doing something that was untoward, um, something that wasn't appropriate or legitimate. Now, these Jews... Uh, here in this text, in the temple, they had come from Ephesus. That's how they recognized Trophimus because Trophimus in verse 29 was from Ephemus, Ephesus and they intentionally um, misled and uh, misrepresented Paul in three primary ways. First of all, they accused Paul of dismissing their customs, of just doing away with it, of saying that uh, he was basically speaking against the Jewish people. That's what their argument was in the first part of verse 28. It says, this is the man that teaches all men everywhere against the people. He's a Jew hater. Uh, he's the one who's gone to the Gentiles. I mean, it would, it's a racist kind of a statement. It's like saying that uh, um, uh, because you befriend a person of this particular race or nationality or uh, ethnicity or something that somehow you hate the other one. Well, you know, that's not necessary. I mean, I guess in reality it could be true, but it's not necessarily true. And certainly it wasn't true uh, of the Apostle Paul. He preached... <clears throat> um, to Jew and Gentile. As a matter of fact, it says in Romans chapter nine, Paul told the Romans, I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. Why, Paul? For I wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. In other words, he knew theologically that couldn't happen, but his heart was so heavy for them to be saved that uh, he would like to even be able to trade places with them. Paul loved the Jew. He not only wasn't against them, he gave himself to sharing the Lord with him to the degree that twice in the book of, um, of Acts, he took on the Nazarite vow. That is, he uh, took that vow of separation, which was strictly a Jewish type of a vow. It wasn't something he had to do, but he wanted to identify with his kinsmen. So that was intentional misrepresentation that he was just doing away with the customs of the Jews. Secondly, they intentionally misrepresented him and they accused him of denying their law. That's what it says right there in the middle of verse 28. And he preaches everywhere against the law, against the Mosaic law. Well, that, that is ludicrous. That's absolutely ludicrous. And for anyone who knew about Paul uh, and any one of them could have, uh, uh, could have been asked and, 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 and he could have been asked, he could have been interrogated about this. Romans seven twelve. he wrote, the law is holy and the commandment is holy and just and good. Paul did not deny the Mosaic law. He qualified it. He explained how it was fulfilled in Christ. Uh, he said in Romans 7, 7, I had not known sin, but by the law. In other words, because of the holiness, the goodness, the quality of the law, when I looked at the law and I looked at my own life, I reckoned that I was a sinner. I didn't measure up. So no, he did not deny the law. He did not uh, castigate the law. He preached 
how the law was qualified and fulfilled in Christ. Again, an intentional misrepresentation. Maybe that sort of thing happens to you as well. Thirdly, <clears throat> they accused him of defiling their temple. That's what it says at the end of verse uh, 28, that he, uh, he turns everyone against the temple. They said that Paul uh, had brought in this Gentile into the temple. That's what it says there in verse 29. Notice it says whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. They're just saying, well, uh, he's running around with this Gentile uh, from Ephesus and we're from Ephesus and we know this guy and we know his family and we know what kind of teenager he was. And uh, you know, you know how that kind of a, that you're building a case, you're building a case against uh, someone. And uh, they said he must have served certainly have brought him into the temple and defiled the temple. Again, a lie. Paul was very careful not to offend others uh, and especially to his kinsmen, the Jews. And so there isn't any way that he would have brought a Gentile into the temple knowing that the Jewish leaders would have viewed that as a desecration. He wasn't looking for an argument. He wasn't looking for a fight. As a matter of fact, he wrote very extensively on the use of liberty and the misuse of liberty in Romans and in 1 Corinthians. And listen to 1 Corinthians 9, verses 19 and 20. It says, for though I am free from all men, all men, in other words, I'm not in bondage to anyone, yet have I made myself servant unto all that I might gain the more. I have placed myself, I've humbled myself underneath some of the demands of people so that I can gain a hearing is what he was saying. It says, and unto the Jews, I became as a Jew and that I might gain the Jews to them that are under the law as under the law. And then almost parenthetically, not being myself under the law that I might gain them that are in the law. In other words, he says, I adjusted to the demands of some simply so that they would recognize um, uh, my heart and they would not uh, find me as one who was rebellious or any such thing. He did not defile their temple and they didn't even have any substantial um, reason for accusing him. Intentional misrepresentations. There are times in life where folks intentionally misrepresent you. Secondly, in this, there are times when we are innocently or maybe accidentally misrepresented. That's what happened in verses 35 through 40. The centurions come down, uh, the leaders, and they grab him uh, and, uh, and they're carrying him over their heads. Kind of like one of those concerts that the kids go to now, how they, you know, they kind of pass people overhead. I don't know what it's called. There's something I've seen it uh, on uh, uh, news clips and stuff, but it's almost like they're doing that. They've got him over their head, passing him along. And there were hundreds of soldiers here because the centurions, uh, it's, uh, it's plural. There were at least two, three, four centurions. And how many soldiers are assigned to one centurion? How many? 100. So because there were multiple centurions who were dispatched to go down to take care of this riot, we know that there were hundreds of soldiers. And so these soldiers gather around him and they carry him overhead because of the mob. And all of a sudden he says to one of the leaders, hey, can I have a word with you? And that and that guy turned around and says, say what? <laughs> you speak Greek? I was sure you were that terrorist from Egypt. I was certain. That's the rumor that's been going around. This is the guy who brought 4,000 uh, enemy terrorists up from the south and was going to ransack the city. And we ran them all out of town and we killed lots and lots of them. I thought you were that guy and we were going to string you up. Now I know that that's not the case. There are times 
when we are innocently misrepresented, yet it's still painful. There may be someone accused of murder and the person didn't do it, uh, but yet all the circumstantial evidence kind of maybe points uh, 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 that way. And maybe um, this person did not have good legal representation, needed to go on, gone to Daryl Scrivener, but didn't. He had poor legal representation. And, uh, and so in court, uh, this person is found guilty uh, and is executed because he was innocently misrepresented. It wasn't an intentional thing. Those kinds of things happen and they come our way. That's the illustration uh, that uh, the text gives us. Now, <clears throat> the practical application. Some practical applications when this sort of thing happens. See, the word of God is as contempor- contemporary and relevant as this morning's newspaper. I don't have to make, you know, people, I hear people say, well, we try to make uh, scripture relevant uh, to lives. You can't make scripture relevant. It is eternally relevant. When this was written in the first century, it was relevant. When it was preached in the year 1000, it was relevant. It had to do with people's lives. And today in the 21st century, uh, it's just as relevant for us as it was when it was taking place. And so what are the practical applications so that it's not just academic? Um, What can we learn from this? The first thing I want us to ask and answer is why... Am I misrepresented by others? Why does this even happen? Uh, what, what causes this sort of thing uh, to come about? Can we get some kind of an understanding so maybe we'll have more victory? Maybe we'll be better equipped to stand for Christ when in fact it does happen. Well, first of all, it occurs to me most of the time it's an issue of communication. That is, the misrepresentation is because uh, there has just been errant communication. Um, and the whole issue of, of human relations has to do with communication. We misunderstand what others say and what we say is misunderstood. It happens to me all the time. It happened to me yesterday. Uh, and I got into a, 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 oh, it wasn't heated, but a, but a uncomfortably awkward uh just kind of a, a verbal um, uh, uh, what, shooting and shouting. It wasn't that, but it was just kind of at, odd, uh, at odds with uh, another particular person because of uh, an issue of communication. We simply do not speak and we do not listen with absolute perfection. I'm amazed at some of the things that I say that I don't know that I say. I'm even more amazed at some of the things that you think you hear from me that you should never have heard from me. I'm more, I'm more amazed by you than, than I am the other way because I don't listen to myself all that much. But I listen to you. I listen to you when you come back at me and say, well, you hold on. No, what? What? That's why I don't have any hair anymore. I'm pulling it out. The stuff that I've heard that folks have. Now, I, that's not dissing anybody. Uh, in fact, that is really what you did here. And, and from time to time, there is a there is a, a, a conflict or a difficulty there because it needs to be uh, cleared up. We don't speak and we don't listen with complete perfection. Think, listen to some of these verses, how important speaking or communication is in the word of God. Matthew 15, 18 says those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart. So we can know, have something, uh, we can understand something about the origin of, of evil. Colossians 4, 6. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how to answer every man. In other words, be walking in the spirit so that you don't have communication difficulties. Ephesians 4, 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying. It's the word for rotten meat. 
Don't let any rottenness come out uh, from uh, your mouth. James 1.19, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Uh, Proverbs 12.18, there is he that speaks like the piercings of a sword. There are, there are people who, who, who throw daggers at you when they speak, but the tongue of the wise is health. There are those who instill health when they share with you as well. So why are you misrepresented? Because there was a communication glitch somewhere along the, the line. Let me give you a golden key on this. Golden key that'll help. First of all, when somebody misrepresents you, take from the get-go to believe the best. Start by believing the best. If you will start by, that person isn't characterized that way, that person loves me, or that person doesn't have any uh, logical reason to go after me. So I'm going to believe the best. And isn't that what 1 Corinthians 13 says? Love believes all things. I'm going to believe the best. I'm going to seek greater clarity. Maybe we can kick this around. And maybe, in fact, I do need to adjust. Or maybe that other one, uh, we need to adjust what uh, our understanding is of that issue. If the Jewish leaders would have done that, the Apostle Paul would have graciously said, I love the Jew. I have given my life to share the gospel. And this is the, uh, as a matter of fact, I'll tell you about a Jew that I love. And uh, he would have shared the gospel with them. But um, they were not interested in that. When I'm misrepresented, I need to pop, likely follow this golden key. Secondly, why else am I misrepresented by others? Might be an issue of persecution. That is, there may be some who come after you uh, simply because uh, of a desire to hurt you. Face it, folks, not everyone likes you. <laughs> you know, there could be even someone in the world, maybe, who doesn't like Wanda Jackson. I've not met that creature. I don't know if I don't know of such a person, but it could be within the realm of possibility that that person could exist. Surely it exists for a lot of us here. Not everybody likes me. And you probably know that about yourself. And it's especially true of the enemy of your soul. Satan is out to defeat, to discourage, to destroy you. And if he can do that by someone else persecuting you, then he has won. He's won that battle. And so it could be that somebody is just saying something about you or saying that you did this or that, or you had this position because of wanting to hurt you, hurt your testimony for Christ, wanting to see you blow up, wanting to see you uh, respond in the flesh. Maybe that's the reason why there's a golden key for this. <clears throat> Humbly restate your words and your position. That is, if you are being persecuted for something that you've said or some position that you've taken, then simply in a spirit of humility, restate it so that every word can be established so that your position can be established. Seek reconciliation. Maybe you have inadvertently hurt that person and now that person is responding by trying to hurt you. Doesn't justify what he or she is doing, but maybe you have a measure of responsibility in that. And then forgive. Maybe that person is truly out to hurt you just like was the case with Stephen, the deacon Stephen. And he said, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Live in God's grace during those times that you are hurt, that you are persecuted. It might be an issue of persecution that that person's coming after you. Thirdly, <clears throat> maybe you're misrepresented because it's, it's an issue of manipulation. It might not be that someone is trying to put you down as much as they're trying to get the upper hand uh, in another situation. Maybe they're working you in some way um, that uh, um, 
you happen to be just a tool or a pawn in their hands so they can represent you in a certain way. And that elevates there. That happens all the time in the workplace, manipulating the boss, trying to manipulate circumstances, taking credit for something when it when it's not yours or or uh, denying the blame uh, uh, for something when it, it does belong to you and and pushing that over onto somebody else in leadership. It's very common um, uh, for Manipulation, uh, misrepresentation through manipulation take place. I've been told by parents um, in the past that uh, their kids and and, uh, especially it's true of those 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 year old years where uh, um, the kid would say uh, to um, mom or dad, well, uh, pastor's son or daughter, whoever is doing this or doesn't have to do that or whatever. Using that uh, as a manipulative tool. I know it happens because folks have told me that it happens. Uh, I'll give you an example. This did not happen, but I I could reasonably imagine that it could have a 15 year old uh, Red Bridger um, coming to mom or dad. And that 15 year old Red Bridger doesn't want to be a part of Varsity Awana for instance, a, f- a few years ago when we called it varsity um, and, and would say, well, Betsy Borden doesn't have to, doesn't go to varsity Iwana. And if the pastor's daughter doesn't go to varsity Iwana, then I shouldn't have to also. I shouldn't have to either. Now, was it true that Betsy did not fully participate in varsity Iwana as a freshman, and as a sophomore and a junior, senior? Yes, that is absolutely true. But it was misrepresented because as an eighth grader and a ninth grader, I said to her, <clears throat> as I had said to my other kids, you can be a part of Awana or you can be a part of choir or orchestra because you're of the age that you can participate in that on Wednesday. But Betsy, we really don't have a lot of people who are good sight readers and accomplished at uh, playing the flute. At the time, it was only Trish Peaster. So I would be, I have a mind that you jump in and help anchor the uh, flute section in the orchestra. That's what she did. Now, that is the context of it. But you see how the misrepresentation for the use of manipulation could come about? And so it happens. It happens in every kind of a human relationship. And it is very damaging when it happens. Let me give you a golden key for that. As you can tell, I have enjoyed the study this week. This has been huge in my life and revealing things to me. First of all, confirm that it has happened. Did you say this? Did you hold to this? Is this really how it is? Seek to discern, well, why did you think that? What is it I said or didn't say or whatever that has caused this? Maybe in marriage, uh, um, there's been some kind of a rift or in some other kind of a relationship. Wisely apply biblical principles to resolve the errant thought. Well, let me um, speak this. Let me, uh, whatever the biblical principle is, forgiveness or confession or humility, uh, repentance, whatever is needed at that particular time. That's somewhat of a generic key because of not knowing the the issues around the the particular manipulation. It happens. uh, It will happen to you. How can I address a misrepresentation? How do I speak to it? Maybe it's something that's just happened out there in the wind. It's kind of like tearing open the feather pillow um, and uh, turning on the fan and all the feathers are everywhere. And there isn't any way to regroup and regather every feather. I can't possibly do that. Too many people are aware. Too much uh, uh, stuff has gone on. Now, what am I to do about addressing this? It occurs to me. When responding to an intentional misrepresentation, and we see Paul doing this, speak the truth. That is, restate what the reality is and review with that person what you believe. In other words, if uh, I had um, uh, uh, 
someone in this church sometime back, and not my say, it didn't happen to me, but, but I, I dealt with it, who was accused of, of presenting something very heretical, very heretical. And so um, we got together, we spoke about it, we talked, okay, what do you believe about this? And uh, what does scripture say about it? And do the two of you line up? Is there a pretty much consistency there or is there not consistency? That will help um, deal with the misrepresentation if that is an intentional uh, type of a thing. And then if it is an accidental or, or if it's innocent misrepresentation, then stand for truth and review how you behave. In other words, is your life characterized by that? If you told me um, that, uh, uh, let me pick on, I'll pick on Mark Saylor. If you told me you saw Mark Saylor going into uh, Harris Casino and, uh, and you'd seen him going down there every evening um, uh, and, uh, and you just parked out there and watched and he got there at 6 p.m. and left at 9.30 and you, the best you know, you're representing this correctly. Uh, and of course, I'd first say, well, what are you doing there? <laughs> That's the first question. But then we get to Mark and, uh, and, uh, we, I, and I would then say to you, hey, I've known him for 13, 14, 15 years. The best I know, he is, lives a life of, above reproach and, and on and on. In other words, I would really look at and I would review his behavior and I would say he stands for truth. And so we would, we would find out that, in fact, uh, he was uh, down there working on a, a computer security uh, issue or some of his company dispatching. Now, that didn't happen. I, I don't even know that it ever could or would. But as an example of something that was innocently misrepresented. Maintain a current testimony, just like Paul does in chapter 22. We're going to consider that tonight. Uh, he, he, he has a current working testimony of what his life is like. So therefore, any misrepresentation could not stand the scrutiny of the light when it was turned on his life. Be sure to let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. In life, you're going to hear things about yourself that are being reported. And you, you're, all of a sudden you're going to say, what? That, that isn't me. How could this have been communicated? I didn't say that. I didn't do that. I didn't go there. And yet it is really believed or it's really being communicated. If it were something that were an intentional um, action, it's really being communicated that that is um, your life. What am I saying? Life is risky, but folks, it's worth the risk. R. Kent Hughes writes, and I'm done with this, about this issue of life being risky. He says, never burn for the souls of others and you will avoid rejection. That is, if you don't care about souls, you'll avoid rejection. Never suggest a plan to, to reach your community or the world and you'll never be criticized. Never give counsel to someone undergoing the pain of separation or divorce, and you'll never give errant or wrong advice, but just think of all the heavenly checks that you will never cash for yourself or others. If you risk nothing, then you're, you're, you're not going to gain anything either. There won't be rewards. There won't be changed lives. And so keep on aggressively serving him, following him, testifying to him, recognizing there's going to be misrepresentations along the way. That's part of 
the package. It happened with Jesus. It happened with the apostles. It happened with the early leaders. It happened with Paul in our text. Lord, I'm thankful that even though...